0: All right, well, let's take the sword of the Spirit and turn to Acts chapter number 21, if you would please, through the Bible, Acts chapter number 21, as we uh, stand in honor of God's Word here this evening, Acts chapter number 21. Glad our young people are learning that they need to stand for truth like they are there. That's fantastic. Great job. Acts chapter number 21 tonight, and we have a little bit more of a lengthy passage to read, so... Just follow along as I read here this evening, beginning in Acts 21, verse number 17. And uh, last time we covered the first 16 verses when we were in Acts 21, and it was in reference to Paul having determined that he was to go to Jerusalem. So let's pick up the reading in verse number 20, sorry, verse 17, where it says, And when we were come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And the day following, Paul went in, with us unto James, and all the elders were present. And when he had saluted them, he declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. And when they had heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they are zealous of the law. And they are informed of thee that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. What is it therefore? The multitude must needs come together, for they will hear that thou art come. Do therefore this that we, may, that we say to thee. We have four men which have a vow on them. "...them take and purify thyself with them, and be it charges with them, that they may shave their heads. And all may know that those things whereof they were informed concerning thee are nothing. But that thou thyself also walkest orderly, and keepest the law. As touching the Gentiles which believe, we have written and concluded that they observe no such thing, save only that they keep themselves from the things offered to idols, and from blood, and from strangled... ...and from fornication. Then Paul took the men, and the next day, purifying himself with them, entered into the temple to signify the accomplishment of the days of purification, until that an offering should be offered for every one of them. And when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews, which were of Asia, when they saw him in the temple, stirred up all the people and laid hands on him, crying, Men of Israel, help, this is the man." That teacheth all men everywhere uh, against the people uh, and the law and this place. And further brought Greeks also into the temple and hath polluted this holy place. For they had seen before with him in the city Trophimus and Ephesian, whom they suppose that Paul had brought into the temple. And all the city was moved, and the people ran together, and they took Paul and drew him out of the temple, and forthwith the doors were shut. And as they went about to kill him, tidings came unto the chief captain of the band, that all Jerusalem was in an uproar, who immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down unto them. And when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they left left beating of Paul." Then the chief captain came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains and demanded who he was and what he had done. And some cried one thing and some another among the multitude. And when he could not know the certainty for the tumult, he commanded him to be carried into the castle. And when he, was, when he came into the stairs, so it was that he was born of the soldiers for violence of the people." For the multitude of the people followed after crying, Away with him. Does that sound familiar in the streets of Jerusalem? Away with him. Away with him. And as Paul was to be led into the castle, he said unto the chief captain, May I speak unto thee? Who said, Canst thou speak Greek? Art thou, art not thou that Egyptian which before these days made us an uproar? And let us out into the wilderness, 4,000 men that were murderers. But Paul said, I am a man which am a Jew of Tarshish, a city of Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city. And I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people. And when he had given him license, Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with the hand unto the people. And when there was made a great silence. He spake unto them in the Hebrew tongue, saying, And you'll have to come back next Sunday night. is <laughs> amazing how the Word of God just kind of leaves you hanging there? Going from chapter 21 to 22. Well, tonight we're going to consider this. Disciples. Disciples follow Jesus. It's a very simple truth. But you'll never know where that might take you. Disciples follow Jesus. Jesus. May God bless the reading of his word. As you're seated tonight, we'll get right into the message. <clears throat> Paul was determined, he was resolved to go to Jerusalem, as we saw last time, because he believed that to be God's will. He believed it to be the will of God. Finally, uh, they came, the others, I mean, the other disciples. They came to this resolve and understanding of what Paul's mission was and what the next step was for his life. And they said this, as we saw last time, the will of the Lord be done, the will of the Lord be done. And many of you maybe have come to that same resolve. You've been in a time of seeking God's mind about it. It may very well be that you're still trying to know the mind of God and And trying to know what God's will is, but maybe you have come to some determination about what God's will is. And that might be about things such as church membership or church involvement. You um, believed that you're supposed to maybe teach Sunday school. And you started this morning and now you're wondering if you made the right, right choice already. Or maybe it's about your job. You prayed about where God wants you to work. I believe you ought to pray that way, don't you? And what God would have you do. And so you, you uh, have sensed God's leadership. And so you made up your mind about that and determined to follow God to your job. And maybe it was a situation that related to your job. Since you're there, maybe you've been working there even some time. But maybe you had to take a stand and, and uh, making a determination about that and praying about it a matter. And, and then taking a bo- maybe even a bold stand. Or in your family, leading your family in a certain direction. I mean, listen, we we need to be led by God in everything that we do. uh, Because in and of ourselves, we'll just come to failure. And so Paul came to a firm conclusion that he was supposed to go to Jerusalem. The Spirit of God showed him that it would be with great difficulty. And then others perceived that it would be with difficulty. And a prophet named Agabus said that, that it would be with difficulty and even illustrated it using Paul's belt and saying, who's ever belt that this belongs to, he'll be bound. He bound his hands. And so uh, Paul knew that he was walking into a difficult situation. Someone has said this, that a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, suffers nothing, is worth nothing. And so Paul understood that this this would be with difficulty, and he was willing, as he said before, not only to be bound, not only to suffer, but also even to die, is what he said, even to die for the name of the Lord Jesus. You know, here's what i found to be true in life, and I'm sure you would agree with this. It's easy to say the will of the Lord be done when things are easy. It's easy to say the will of the Lord be done when the sun is shining and when, and when uh, things are just going great. It's more difficult... To say the will of the Lord be done when things become challenging, when they become difficult. How did Paul respond? We're going to see that here in this text. This is an important section of Scripture from chapter 21 uh, through 24. You have about 12 days of time, and Luke really gives us great detail. So, this was evidently a great and significant event in the life of Paul. We followed Paul through many situations. By the way, he is no stranger to trouble. It's not the first time he's been brought before a mob, a group of people, and drug out and beat. Uh, this is certainly not the first time. How did Paul respond when following the will of the Lord became difficult in his life? I say he followed the will of the Lord, and what that does then is that makes him a disciple. You see, many people are saved, but not everybody is a disciple. It's possible to be saved and not be following the Lord Jesus Christ. But tonight, we must all acknowledge Jesus wants to be more than just our Savior, though thank God that He is willing to be our Savior. He also is the Lord of our life. And we're to follow Him. A disciple is a believer who simply follows Jesus. That's what a disciple is. It's a You might say it this way, a disciplined Christian. Disciple, you hear it in there, a disciplined Christian. I read this, that a disciple is not a student of a subject, not just a student of a subject, but he is a follower of a person. A follower of a person. And so Paul knew how to respond in these various situations in which his life was to be found. And so we're going to look at that here tonight and consider it for our lives and how that we ought to respond when we are in the will of God and yet you face difficulty. And so here, uh, Paul, first of all, in verse 17 through 19, uh, a disciple knows how to respond when God's been blessing. A disciple knows how to respond when he's been blessed by God. Look at verse 17 again. It says, when they were come to Jerusalem, the brethren uh, of Jerusalem received them gladly, received us gladly. And so then Paul met with James. James would be the half-brother of Jesus, uh, who was at one point in time skeptical, but now he is obviously the leader of the church of Jerusalem. We saw that also in chapter number 15. And it says when he had saluted them, when Paul had saluted them and declared, particularly, in other words, he just detailed it. He told them stories about what God had done and how God had blessed the ministry. You look at uh, the rest of verse number 19. What things God had wrought. You know what I like about Paul? He acknowledged that God's the real outreach director here. It wasn't us trying to figure out what to do, but it was God that was doing this. And so, A disciple knows to give glory to God and does just that. The church here in Jerusalem rejoices with him. You saw that. They rejoice greatly. Look at verse number 20. It says, when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. Okay, now we need to understand that this is, of course, the church in Jerusalem. And so they are Jews by their nationality. Paul is giving them a detailed account. ...of what God has been doing among the Gentiles. Yes, there's been Jews saved along the way, but the bulk of Paul's testimony was about the Gentiles that were saved. And we see here that the Jewish believers, they rejoiced that Gentiles were being saved. That's wonderful, and that was right that they did. But isn't it true that in a church that there are both blessings and concerns that coexist... There's blessings to be enjoyed, things in which to rejoice. There are blessings, but then there are also concerns. So they rejoiced, and then as you see there, they rejoiced, and said unto him, Thou seest brother. Sometimes when a brother says brother, it's not always good. He said, You see, now wait a minute, brother. (laughs) Let me talk to you a little bit about what's going on here. We're glad to hear. And I believe they were sincere, don't you? They were, they were sincere about their rejoicing that the Gentiles had come to faith in Christ. But then they said this. You see, brethren, brother, how many thousands. Did you see that? Look at verse number 20 again. How many thousands of Jews? A large number of Jews. Thousands it is. Remember, there were 5,000 that were saved in Jerusalem. And so the church has been growing Jewish believers, Jewish people have been coming to faith in Christ. Thousands of Jews there are which believe. This is wonderful. And Paul, no doubt, of course, would rejoice in that. Look at the rest of it. It says, and they are zealous of the law. And they are informed of thee that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. That they are not to circumcise their children and they don't have to walk after the customs. And so... Here we see that the church uh, leaders there, they were saying, you know, we've had thousands of Jews that have been saved. But Paul, we want you to understand that there's been some misunderstanding, and I believe that's the angle from which James was coming. I believe he was saying, Paul, there are some that misunderstand what you stand for. They misunderstand maybe what your letters have said, or they misunderstand how that uh, some have... uh, given account of what has taken place. So there's been some misunderstanding, and Paul, you need to know this, there's been some misrepresentation about your person. You know, Paul's not the first one to be falsely accused. Jesus was falsely accused. They accused him of being a wine-bibber and drinking with and eating with sinners and being a friend of sinners, and they crucified him as a sinner. And so that's the reason I say Paul is just simply walking in the steps of his Savior who was falsely accused. We need to understand that this was a very, very tense time in Jerusalem. Jews and, and of course, Gentile relations were very strained, to say the least. Nationalism, Jewish nationalism was on the rise. Roman uh, um, occupation and domination was very much still a part of their day-to-day living most loyal Jews viewed Gentiles with suspicion. They were suspicious of the Jews. Okay, so can you, can you get a picture of what's going on here? You have Jews and Gentiles living in the holy city, and many Jews who have come to Jerusalem. Remember, it's the feast time. And there's the rise of nationalism. There's the problems between the Jews and the Gentiles. And here you have, in the midst of all of this, You have a Jewish church led by James who loves the Lord, who loves the Jewish people who are being saved, who rejoice and are glad for the Gentiles who are being saved, but they are caught right in the middle of all this. Do you feel the tension? They're glad for Jews being saved, they're glad for Gentiles being saved, but things are pretty tense right now in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And so the church is right in the middle of it all. They want to preach Jesus to the Jews, and they also want to support the outreach to the Gentiles. But at the same time, there's a great pressure from their own countrymen to be loyal to the customs and to the ways of their Jewish lifestyle, their heritage. Their heritage. I mean, we would understand that. They wanted to be true to their own people. The fact that they were saved did not remove their Jewish descent. They maintained that, and that was fine. And so they said, Paul, um, it's reported that you're saying that the Jews no longer need to circumcise their sons, their children. That That's reported there. Did Paul ever say that? No. Now, what Paul did say is that circumcision is not necessary for salvation. And he was very, very clear about that. But Paul, if you might remember, Paul recommended to Timothy, who was half Jewish, to go ahead and be circumcised. So Paul, this is is totally a false accusation against Paul. And then they said he opposed the law. Well, Paul didn't oppose the law. He didn't oppose Jewish customs. But Paul was very, very clear that a man is not saved by keeping of the law. And so he was abundantly clear about that and certainly wouldn't back down from that. But at the same time, we've got to keep the context in mind here. Remember this. Paul is coming to Jerusalem and has made great effort to be there on time to observe what? A Jewish feast. And so he's not forgotten about his Jewish heritage. He still loves the Jewish people. He still wants them to be saved. He cares so much about the Jewish people that he's actually spent his time traveling about among even Gentile churches, raising money, receiving offerings to bring back that offering. In fact, I mean, Luke doesn't mention it here, but other passages would bear it out that Paul has brought an offering from the Gentiles to the Jewish believers to help them. I'm just telling you, it's very easy to see Paul loves the Jewish people. He's not telling them to forsake Moses. He's not telling them all these things that they're, they're saying. He's just telling them, love Jesus. Be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what I've found in life? It's easy to be misunderstood. And it's easy to be misrepresented, even when you are in the will of God. Somebody is going to say something about you. Somebody's going to have a critical word, a spirit against you, uh, a wrong spirit against you. They might mistake you for being, what, ambitious. Or they might mistake you for being holier than everybody else. You ever get that? You take a stand at work and everybody says, well, you just think you're better than everybody else. I'm telling you, you you can be right in the middle of the will of God and yet be misunderstood and be misrepresented. What do you have to do? Well, you just need to know what God's will is for your life and not allow the opinion of others to determine what you're supposed to do. Be clear on God's will. So what happens is this. James says, Paul, I'd like to recommend a plan to demonstrate to the people that you are in no way against the custom of the Jews. Now, he says, I... would recommend that we have four men that are about that are in the midst of a vow the text is just not clear enough for us to even determine whether it was a Nazarite vow or another type of vow that they had taken upon themselves and so uh god didn't give us enough detail to know what it was but it's just simply it's a it's a obviously a jewish vow that they had taken and so he recommended, why don't you go in with these men? Why don't you pay some of the expenses related to the sacrifices and all those things that would be a part of it and just participate with them to demonstrate that you're not against the Jewish customs and way of life, but that you're sensitive to their ways of life and, and that you are on board with them continuing their Jewish heritage. Okay, so then the question becomes, I don't know how this is striking you here tonight, but then the question becomes this, okay, was Paul off? Was he wrong to go ahead because he does? Is he wrong to go ahead and to observe this at this festival time and to go through the purification process and, and to take the vow and complete all that. I mean, we're talking about the man who wrote the epistles under inspiration and, and who emphasized that the law was not necessary for salvation nor was the keeping of the law necessary for sanctification and all these things of that nature. I mean, we're talking about that man. Was Paul wrong for having done so? Was it a wrong recommendation of James? James... I don't believe is saying, listen, Paul, let's just compromise here. Not for one minute. James, in fact, says this. Now, Paul, listen. We know that this thing is already settled about Acts chapter 15. Now, he didn't say Acts 15. But he said, Paul, we understand that the Gentiles are not uh, required to keep the law. We know and we wrote to them about, you know, that they're abstained from things offered to idols, from things strangled, from blood, and from fornication. It's very, very clear that we're not trying to go back. But at the same time, James had an understanding that you could be Jewish and Christian at the same time. You could be Jewish by your heritage and your lineage and, and in your life overall lifestyle. Because, listen, the fact that they were saved did not immediately erase their way of life. No more than when you were saved, erase the fact that you were an American and your American way of life. And so that's some of what he's dealing with there. So was Paul in the wrong? I'm not going to go into great detail here tonight, but but I believe that we could demonstrate from this text and others that Paul went into this without his conscience being in any way guilty. I mean, he said as much. In fact, in chapter 23 in verse number 1, he said this. He said, "Men and brother and I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day," and that's in the context of it. So he's saying, by that, it's not like he compromised by going in and taking this vow. Everybody with me here? Okay. He had previously taken a vow back in chapter number eighteen. You might remember that. Paul has been consistent. He's sensitive to the Jewish, I'm sorry, the Gentiles' ways of life. So it makes no It's no wonder that he would likewise be sensitive to the Jewish ways of life. In fact, he said in 1 Corinthians 9 that he became as the Jews to reach the Jews and he became as others, the Gentiles, those without law, as without law, to reach those without law. Now, wait a minute. Don't push that too far. Paul is not compromising. He's not changing doctrine. He's not a chameleon. He's not just fitting in and and just kind of infiltrating there and acting like, you know, salvation is by works. No, not at all. Paul would never back down on salvation by grace through faith. We know that about Paul and the Spirit of God leading him and working in his life. And obviously, James, as we've already mentioned, was not reintroducing the situation in Acts chapter 15. And and this, I think, uh, makes a good statement as well, that Paul's mission was not anti-Jewish. It was pro-Christ. Okay. So, he's misunderstood. He's misrepresented. So what happens? He goes ahead and takes this vow and, and uh, is, uh, goes through the process of the purification for himself and all those things. And we could spend more time there, but I'm not intending to here tonight. The certain place I'm hoping that we arrive at here this evening. So, as he goes about this in verse number 27, when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews, which were where, or from where? Asia. Whether these individuals were also on a pilgrimage coming to Jerusalem, which would not have been untypical for them, but they came to Jerusalem and they said, this is that man. Do you remember back in Asia, the unbelieving Jews? So the one, I'm sorry, let me back up just a minute. It was the believing Jews who said, we wonder if Paul is saying forsake all of our Jewish ways. Those were believing Jews. These, that's a different set of Jews. These Jews here in verse number 27, everybody with me here? I wanted this to be very clear. These Jews are the unbelieving Jews, the ones who even back in Asia, it may even be the very exact same ones, who caused him problem there that caused a big uproar that drug him into the theater and, and had you know a whole mob there and, and people were crying out, great is the goddess Diana. I mean, just that whole chaotic scene that unfolded there in Asia. These Jews that were from Asia... They accused Paul. They hated Paul, as we could discern from verse 27 and following. They stirred up all the people. They aggravated the scene. They aggravated the situation. They laid hands on him. And here's what they said. Men of Israel, help. This is the man that teacheth all men everywhere. You know, when you start accusing somebody of things, you start exaggerating. This is the man that everywhere and to all people. Well, I mean that's pretty broad. And then they add to it. He teaches us against the people, he teaches us against the law, and he teaches against this place, namely the te- the temple. Furthermore. Furthermore. He's brought a Gentile into the temple. Now that's where it got very chaotic. So they're not just accusing him of having said something, but now they're accusing him of having done something. And namely, that bringing a man named Trophimus, who was one of the companions of Paul. He was a Gentile. It was a dangerous time to be in Jerusalem as a Gentile. And they accused Paul of bringing Trophimus into the temple. If you know the temple that was set up, you had actually outside the temple the court of the Gentiles. Past the court of the Gentiles, the court of women, Jewish women. Past that, the court of men, and then the place for the priests, and then, of course, the most holy place. And so these Jews were saying, because they saw Paul with Trophimus, listen, it's not saying that they saw Trophimus in the temple. They're saying they saw Paul in the temple, and they made an assumption. And that'll get you in trouble. They made an assumption in saying, he has brought this Gentile here. And, and all the Jews understood this, that there were signs, literally, I mean, these signs have been discovered that as you would leave the court of the Gentiles, there was a, lar- a rather large sign, maybe about three foot by four foot, somewhere right in there, a sign that read such as this, I actually have the, uh, wording here to it. If I can find it in notes, here we go. No foreigner may enter. It's what it says no gentiles beyond this point basically anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for what follows death so on the spot they could kill a gentile for passing beyond the court of the gentiles into the other part that was designated strictly for the Jews and the romans by the way would would allow for that if a gentile went into and by their terms, defiled or desecrated the temple. Now here's something to think about. They're accusing Paul. And they're going to kill him too because he brought the Gentile in. If Paul wanted to desecrate the temple, would he have gone through the process of being purified? Doesn't quite make sense. Paul went through this whole process of purification. But you know, here's what I found. People Do not have to have the truth to make an accusation against you. They can spin it however they see fit. So this uproar, I mean, it just, it gets out of hand They lay hands on Paul. They literally drag him out from where he is there in the temple area. And they shut the doors behind him, not so as not to let anyone else in and, and crying out contamination and, and that, that Paul has desecrated the, the temple. And so now they are literally dragging him out and begin to beat him. And their intent, as we saw there, was they were going to take his life right there on the spot. No trial, killing him. Well, adjacent to the temple area in a tower called Antonia is a, the Roman tower that overlooked, about 100 feet tall or so, a, a tower that would overlook that temple area. And the reason it was built there was for situations such as this. Uprisings in the city. Mobs things getting out of control. Multitudes of Jews would flood into Jerusalem at this point in time, and and there would always be some type of an uprising, and so the Romans had to be ready at a moment's notice to spring on the scene to stop some type of a mob situation. The chief captain, as it is here in our text, the uh, Roman tribune, We know later that it was Claudius Lysias. He hears the uprising, assembles an amount of troops, evidently a large amount. I mean, it could have been even upwards of two centurions. I mean, uh, two groups there of 100, 200 men, probably not that many, but a large enough group that when they came on the scene, the Jews stopped beating Paul because they were proceeding on and he is asking, what does this mean? What's the cause of this? One man said one thing, one man said another thing, and there was such, a, such an uproar. Can you imagine how chaotic this scene must have been under uh, this these circumstances? And he's trying to get to the bottom of this, and he couldn't even hear what was going on. And so what this man, uh, the the captain, does is he leads Paul. He begins to lead him up to the castle area, this tower, so that he can hear from Paul what's going on. And he's leading him up on the stairs there, and, and Paul... Speaks to this man and says, Can I speak with you? Can I speak with you? May I speak unto thee? And the Romans and the Roman guard there, the captain, was surprised that he spoke Greek so well and said, Canst thou speak Greek? Art not thou that Egyptian? And so you got to know a little bit of the background here. A few years prior, there was an Egyptian, an individual from Egypt, and they primarily spoke Greek there in that region. But here an insurrectionist came against, uh, against Jerusalem and had a band of about 4,000 men who came with him to take back Jerusalem, or had that intent at least. And so this uh, captain had known of that situation, that man, that Greek-speaking Egyptian And along with him, the 4,000 men, these men were the Sycharion, and that was also known as the dagger men. These were the assassins. These were terrorists. Jewish nationalism and pride and uh, kind of a fanatical group. What they would do as they wore these cloaks, they would get into the mix of a bunch of uh, worshipers there of Jerusalem... And from their dagger, they would take the dag— from their cloak rather, they would take a dagger and secretly stab a Jew, kill him and move on in the crowd. I mean, so many people around And, and thus Jews were just dropping. These were Jews of their own people that they were killing. The reason they were killing them is because these people were loyal or sympathetic to Rome. These Jewish nationalists were taking them out. Ultimately, that's the reason why Rome came in and, and took over Jerusalem in A.D. 70. And so, in any case, Paul, I'm sorry, the Roman centurion there, the Roman guard, he says, Are you that Egyptian? Now that Egyptian was one who came in. he proclaimed himself to be a prophet, leading these 4,000 men, and he said, "Here's what's going to happen. They gather together on the Mount of Olives, and he's just right outside the city of Jerusalem. There's the wall. He says this. Catch this. This is an interesting bit of history. Josephus says this, and, and uh, as a historical account, he, he is said to have, who have said that at my command, the walls of Jerusalem are going to fall down." And we're going to go in and take back Jerusalem from the Romans. So he gave the command. The walls of Jerusalem fall. Nothing happened. Not quite the Jericho moment for him, you know. Well, the result actually is that 400 of his men are killed. 200 of them are arrested. But the Egyptian escaped and fled and they didn't know where he went. So when when Paul, he uh, is caught up in all this mob, this Roman leader has no idea who this man is. And when he speaks Greek to him, he says this, Are you the one that led that insurrection a few years ago? Are you that Egyptian? And Paul begins to explain to him as to who he was. And he said, Would you allow me this opportunity? Could I speak to the people? And I find it quite amazing that in the midst of all this chaos... Paul raises his hand and this crazy mob becomes silent and he speaks to them in the Hebrew dialect and says, come back next week. (laughs) Would you agree? I mean, I know that's a lot of details, but it's what happened to Paul. The point I want to draw out is this. He was in the will of God. He was doing what God told him to do. And in the midst of doing what God told him to do, listen, he was misunderstood, he was misrepresented, he was falsely accused, and he was beaten to the point where he's about to die if somebody had not intervened. And he was right there in the will of God. Misunderstood, misrepresented, and even mistreated and still following Jesus. May I say a word to you. And he's going to testify them to them of the risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? It's very simple. Disciples follow Jesus. Disciples follow Jesus. Day after day in situation after situation even when misrepresented even when misunderstood even listen tonight even when mistreated disciples follow Jesus disciples follow Jesus and they just keep following Jesus even when times get hard so I want to ask you tonight Are you willing to follow Jesus even when times get hard? It's those times that really define whether you're a disciple or not. I, um, on the vacation, wanted to do just a little bit of hiking. A couple weeks prior to that, maybe three, I don't mean to whine. If you think I'm whining, then I'm sorry, but I'm not whining, I'm just telling you A couple weeks ago, three weeks ago or so, I was playing basketball with the boys, and my knee went away that it's not supposed to go. You ever have that happen? I mean, I was trying to stop, and it just, yeah, it wasn't good. And so I was coming off a little bit of a knee injury. I'm not looking for sympathy. I'm just telling you the facts. And so I'm on the mend and such, and it's feeling pretty good now. but, But anyways, I wanted to do some hiking. I didn't do any the whole week, and this was a Saturday. We're getting ready to leave, and... And so I I thought, you know, I'm just going to wake up early and before we head out, I'm going to go for a hike just to have a little bit of time alone. And we were there in the Flagstaff area, absolutely beautiful area, the largest Ponderosa Pine Forest, I believe in America, if I'm not mistaken, and just amazing other than the smoke that was coming in from Sedona. So anyways, uh, we were really having a good time. And so I I just wanted to go on a little bit of a hike and and I thought, you know, I'm just going to look at the map and and probably just because of the knee situation, just going to you know, find an easier one, an easy hike, maybe about a mile. I, I felt pretty confident I could do that easy, and and that it would be fine. You know, and so most of those trail systems have an easy man's way, and so I found one that I <laughs> that would be the shortest one. It was a mile and maybe three tenths, something like that. Ironically. The name for the trail because they had this was around Mount Eldon. It's it's just a beautiful mountain just right there. And and so there was Mount Eldon's Trail, and that one was about a three or four mile hike, and then there was a one called Christmas trees trail, and it was about a three-mile hike. I got on Fat Man's Loop. <laughs> about a mile and three tenths. That was almost just insulting. Fat Man's Loop. Thought, well, surely. Surely I could do Fat Man's Loop. I, t- I took a picture of it with my phone, because I want, you know, you can, have you been out there on trails, and if they're not very well marked, you have no idea which way you're going, and so this one just did just that, it made a loop, You and I just started out to the right-hand side, and thought, well, I'm just going to keep going, and I, I know I always need to make a left-hand turn, and that'll bring me all the way around the loop, and this is Fat Man's Loop, this is going to be easy, I'm going to be back home, you know, within the, within an hour, no, absolutely no problem at all, started out, and I'm telling you, a beautiful day sun shining Uh, early morning birds were singing cool air the smoke wasn't in yet and so that was nice and and so just enjoying fat, fat man's loop and then I came to a fork in the road and it was well marked said Christmas tree trail or something like that off this way you know three miles or whatever I said well I know I'm not supposed to go that way and so it had fat man's loop just go this way and so I stayed on that And then I came to another fork in the road, and this one was not marked. You know, some people like to get off the trail and make their own trails. Those people should not be allowed back in the national park systems at all. It's wrong. It's just wrong, 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 wrong. And so, you know, man, here I am at the fork in the road. Which way do I go? And I thought, well, I, I know I'm supposed to go to the left, but this one, I mean, it looked like a pig trail. It looked just like it wasn't as clear and laid out as this one was. Though this one got a little bit rocky up ahead, and I thought, well, I don't, I don't know. And, and so then about this time, you know, there was three young ladies who actually were running from this angle. And I thought, well, if they can go there, then I'll go that way. And so I chose the right-hand trail, started on that way got on my way. And I tell you what, I started going up in elevation. I thought, and these things ought not to be. I mean, it, it was actually getting a little bit rigorous and, you know, I was feeling the knee. The sunshine was no longer a blessing. I was having a hard time breathing and praying. And just, I sent a text to Angie saying I'm okay and just wondering if she's wondering, you know, and I mean, you ever have those things? You start out, you know, you know, you're enjoying it and then it stops. Yeah. And so I'm on Fat Man's Loop, I think. I'm not sure. It's starting to feel more like Slim Man's Mountain Marathon, you know. And (laughs) So here I am. I mean, I'm trekking up there. And I am literally, I kid you not, I am climbing Mount Eldon. I've got pictures on my phone if you want to see it, some beautiful views. But I'm thinking, I'm not supposed to be up this high. I'm not supposed to. This is Fat Man's Loop. Fat Man can't climb this high. And so that's what I'm thinking. But I'm telling you, I was going up, 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 up. And I thought, well, surely, okay, I'll go, keep going a little bit further. And then it'll stop and it'll turn. I'm looking for the turn back this way. But it just kept going and it just kept going and it just kept going. And then, it, it, then, then you get at a point where you think, oh, no. I accidentally got on some other trail. And this is like the four-mile hike. Or I'm going to the Grand Canyon, and it's about an 80-mile trek. I had no idea. So I went as far as I thought that maybe I should, trying to use good sense, and I stopped. I turned around, and I began coming back down what actually turned out to be Fat Man's Loop. I should have just kept going. I'm embarrassed to stand here before you as your pastor and tell you, I didn't even finish Fat Man's Loop. Oh, this is embarrassing. Someday, someday, when my knee is better and I've got time, I'm going to, I don't know, I'm just going to stop and I'm going to finish, brother Seth, fat man's loop someday. Yeah. You ever start out serving the Lord, knowing that you're serving him? Doing what he wants you to do. And you get a little bit turned around. And it's not that God's not clear. It's just we're human. And you get a little confused. And then, you know, this thing called the Christian life, it's got more elevation to it than what you thought. And it's much more difficult than what you thought. And you're having a hard time praying. You're having a hard time breathing. Having a hard time keeping up with it all. You know what we're tempted to do at those times? Stop and say, I've had enough, I'm going back home. That's one thing on a trail system, it's another thing in life. I'm encouraged by Paul tonight, who, even though the climb of life became increasingly and increasingly and increasingly more and more difficult. Paul did not stop and go back, but he made that first journey and was beat and left for dead. But he got up. God raised him up and brought him up and he kept preaching. And he went on that second journey and he was also misrepresented and falsely accused and things got tough and hard. But he went on a third journey. And now he's going to Jerusalem and things are not getting easier. Hey, I'm telling you, that is the Christian life. We're looking for something easier. God is looking for disciples. Will you be a disciple when God is blessing? I believe we're all on board there. Will you be a disciple of Jesus even when you're being misunderstood? Will you be a a disciple of Jesus even when you are being misrepresented and falsely accused and slandered by others? That's when it gets tough. And when you're mistreated at the workplace or mistreated at home or mistreated by friends or mistreated even by church members, will you be a disciple or will you go back and say, no, this is too hard. I'm going to find something easier. I want to thank God tonight that Paul kept going. How about you? I dare say that trying to raise kids in this generation for the Lord, it's not going to be easy. But it is right. Just keep going. Disciples follow Jesus. Being a church member in this day and time, in this religious climate and situation, it's not going to be easy, but you just keep following Jesus. Having a godly marriage, it's not easy. It doesn't come natural, but it's what God wants for us. And you're married, you're in the will of God there. Just keep following Jesus. You've chosen by God's leadership to teach a Sunday school class. It may not be easy, but you just keep following Jesus. The sun's going to start getting even. I'm, not, the sun's not going to get any hotter. We're going to feel it more as we get into the, into the summer months. And you're working a bus route, and other people are going home in air conditioning. And you're on the bus, and the only air conditioning you have is put all the windows down and drive fast. It's not going to be easier, but you just keep following Jesus because disciples know what God wants them to do, and they go about to do that regardless. Regardless. Will you follow even when times get hard? Father, tonight we thank you. We heard from the patch presentation that we have an adversary And then we need to take unto us the whole armor of God. And tonight, dear God, I don't know where everyone is, but I believe many have determined to follow you. And maybe they are in that uphill climb. Taken by surprise how challenging some of that has become. Would you help them to be a disciple? A disciplined believer who's not just studying a subject, but who is learning from a person, the person of Christ. Help us to know your will and to carefully go about doing it. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.